0: Happy New Year. How about that? Let's start there. Uh, So good to see each of you today. I forgot my little clicker down here. I'm all over the board. Um, But we're so glad to see you here on this second day of the year. I mean, we finally made it. Y'all didn't know if we'd make it or not, but we did. Uh, I like this quote by Edith Lovejoy Pierce. She says, we will open the book. Its pages are blank. We're going to put words on them ourselves. The book is called Opportunity, and its first chapter is New Year's Day. I like that because it, we come into this year, and it's, it's this idea that as we move into 2022, it's just, it's just blank pages. Whatever was written on 2021 or 2020 or whatever, you know, this is a new book, And we're going to see where we are at the end of 2022, but right now we're writing these new pages. And and there's something psychological about a new year, isn't there? Because let's face it, there's not really anything different from Friday and Saturday of this past week. But somehow we get in our minds, and this is a good thing, that we'll be open to new ideas and activities and changes that we need to make in our lives in order to be better people so i think that's a good thing and it's not it's really a good thing after the last couple of years isn't it it's been kind of rough around the world it seems like it's still rough in a lot of different ways but we know that it's been rough just based on the things that we've read such as depression among adults It has tripled in the early 2020 months of the COVID pandemic, jumping from 8.5% to over 27%. There was a new study that was conducted, and it was put out in October of this past year. And it says that, as we were doing with 2021, that it's now jumped up to 32.8%. An article in the Wall Street Journal, is written by a guy by the name of Brad Stolberg, He reported, listen to this, he says, even before the pandemic, Americans were reporting higher rates of clinical anxiety and depression than ever before with estimates showing more than one in five people suffering at any given time. Now, this is before the pandemic. Addictions to harmful substances were also at peak levels with increasing rates of alcoholism and opioid epidemic. Loneliness and social isolation were on the rise as were exhaustion and fatigue. Needless to say, the death, the stress, and dislocation of the past two years have only served to exasperate these trends. So it's like, whoa. But he says, look, there's good news. And the good news is what they're finding in these studies is that people are, have finally come to a point they're looking forward to this post-pandemic era. Looking forward to the end of this thing and, and not just looking for the end of it, but actually looking to see themselves where they want to be at, at, and during all of this. It's a reset. People are looking for a book with blank pages, And, and it goes further than saying, "Well, you know what? I'm just going to act like it's not there." No, no,, no. You're setting yourself up on a path that's very dangerous when you do that. What we're he's talking about here is about setting up a foundation. A foundation that allows us to get through these ups and downs in life. To go through these struggles that we sometimes have. A new way of thinking as we walk through this chaotic world that we're living in. Now, it gives a couple of things, or, or gives a few things. and I'm going to share a couple of those um, with you this morning that I believe is really good. If you're looking at this new year, looking at it as all these blank pages that we have before us, And here's the first thing that I'd write on that page. Accept where you are. Accept where you are. Don't accept where you would like to be or where you want to be or where other people want you to be. Learn to accept where you are. You may say, well, I don't like where I am. And that's fine. But we, we've got to be able to accept where we are before we can be able to make real changes in those things in our lives. So there's this, this Eastern tradition. It speaks about what's known as a second arrow. And, and so it kind of goes something like this. So there's this first arrow. The first arrow is these life events and circumstances that are painful. A lot of times these are things that that come into our lives that we we have no control over they happen the second arrow though is one that is optional it's how we respond to the first arrow let me give you an illustration let's say this past year you've lost someone that you loved and we know people have lost, whether it be cancer, or whether it be COVID, or whether, it, you know, maybe someone of a drunk driver, or whatever it may be. And those are very hard, penetrating arrows in our lives. And we know that they're painful, and we, we feel that pain. And, in fact, we even deal with lots of aspects in trying to get to a good place. In fact, there's these stages of, of grieving, Right? You've heard them before. Things like denial, isolation, anger, bargaining, and depression. But all of it leads to the idea of acceptance. So there's nothing wrong with when we go through these things. They're hurt. They're hurt. But the second arrow is when we can no longer go through the process. We stop at anger we stop at this feeling of it's not fair it's not fair what's happened to me and we can't move past it and all we're doing is we're creating more pain and more hurt in our lives because here's the thing you can do that all day long and it doesn't bring that person back just in the illustration we're using we, we've got to be able to move past self-blame and when these emotions turn inward We've got to be able to, to talk to people, to work certain things out. And that doesn't mean that, you know, when we deal with grief, um, that this pain, you know, we go through these, these stages of, of grief in a week. Uh, and that's not how it works. But we do need to be very mindful of not allowing a second arrow to penetrate our hearts. And we totally miss out. Peter told the persecuted Christians, he says, listen, expect persecution. Expect these fiery trials. None of you can say, well, you know what? When I became a Christian, I thought my life was going to be perfect. It doesn't make any sense based on what Paul says for you to say, you know what? All these, I know a lot of evil people and it seems like they're getting, you know, they're enjoying life, and these people who are hurting me, it seems like they're the ones, and it's like, it's unfair. What does Peter say? Expect it. But here's what he also says. He says, listen, even in your pain, it can be used to glorify God. That's a good thing. My family, uh, we're from my little hometown, Hamilton, Alabama, big metropolis. Uh, I think there's 3,000 people now. Once I left, a lot of people left. But anyway, um, but there's this kid there that I grew up with. His name was Clay Dyer. Actually, his older brother and I, we played sports together. I've mentioned Clay before. Uh, If you were watching my prayer in a psalm during uh, during the first part of the pandemic, I actually had him on and interviewed him as well. Uh, he he uh, graduated with my brother. Um, I've, we've known this family for a very long time. But you can probably tell by looking at Clay, he was born without any limbs in his lower part of his body. He does not have a limb on his left side. He only has a partial arm on his right side. The thing about Clay is he loves sports. He probably loves sports more than I do. And this kid, was—he. I never heard him complain. Never once did I hear him blame God. Never once did I hear him say, it's not fair. Because you've got kids that don't even, they've got perfectly good limbs, and, and they don't even want to play sports. In fact, Clay just found ways of, of playing. Uh, he, he learned how to swing a bat. He would put a bat up on this partial arm, and put it up under his chin, and he learned to swing a bat, and he could hit a ball. And, and then his parents got him these little wooden legs that he could sit on, and he could move like a penguin, like he was running down the first baseline. He could throw a football, a spiral. Actually, the, this is my, um, there in Hamilton, this is, this is him working with the football team at one time. <laughs> The guy who's only got a partial limb, And I guarantee you, he probably throws just about as good as any of these kids that are sitting there. But I never heard him complain and say, it's not fair that I can't play competitive football or competitive baseball. In fact, he, he accepted where he was. And he learned how to do other things. And he became and is a professional fisherman. He's a professional bass fisherman. He ties his own lures. He brings in his, his own fish. <laughs> this is him getting them off. You ought to see him when he puts this thing in his mouth and ties these, these things. And, and he has a logo. You can see down there at the bottom right. If I can, you can. He goes around. He talks to churches. Because he, he loves to tell people how God's blessed him. And he, and he tries to motivate people. They have two arms and two legs (laughs) that you can do it listen when he was born man he was he had a, a bad first arrow didn't he but he never allowed the second arrow to penetrate just an amazing person here's the second thing I want to say to you embrace your vulnerabilities Embrace your vulnerabilities. Irvin Goffman, he wrote a book in 1959. It was entitled The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. He was a sociologist who distinguished between what he called front stage and backstage living. The front stage is where we're with other people, people we're trying to impress. People that, you know, we're worried about what they have to say about us, and so we try to be a certain thing. The backstage is who you are when you're not trying to impress other people. Now, look, we all know that we do certain things in life that's appropriate. You know, you may not like dressing up, but maybe there's a situation where you need to dress up. It's an appropriate thing, but I'm talking about when there is this this major divide between your front stage living and your backstage living because you feel like you're living a lie. You feel like you're living in deception because we gotta learn to be who we are. We live in a culture that's very scary for us to be honest and open, isn't it? We live in the cancel culture society. And we're followers of Jesus and I'm just gonna tell you, if you're gonna live by the principles and the life of Jesus, You're going to upset some folks, people that you love dearly. But this is becoming more and more unacceptable for some. And in fact, some have decided against vulnerability out of fear. And usually you can find people that are like this and and you can identify them in certain ways. For some people, all they do, all they ever do is joke. They hide behind their jokes, the pain that they feel. Or some people, they move from one relationship to the next because they never want to get really too close to anybody. Because they're afraid of being hurt. They're afraid people will not accept them. And the thing is, we all need friends that we can be ourselves. Friends that they don't even agree with everything that we agree with, things that Maybe we, we, who we are and what we like to do, maybe we, they don't, but they still love us and care for us, and, and they're not going to use those things against us to hurt us, and that happens a lot in society, because, listen, not only do we need friends like that, we need to be those friends, that people can talk to us, and even when we disagree with them, even when we may not like what they have to say, that we're still going to love those people, and we're not going to use it against them. We're not going to gossip about them. We serve a God of grace who loved us unconditionally despite our failures and our inabilities to love him back at times. In fact, this is one of the great scriptures, right? For by grace are we saved it's through faith and this is not your doing it's god's gift this is not the result of your works it's not a result of anything that you can boast about that's what christianity is about unfortunately religion can create a bunch of front stage christians We strive to be like Jesus. We know what those things are, but we are going to fail. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're going to fail. Come on, we need to hear it. Turn to some. You're going to fail. I know some of you really want to tell your spouse this right now. But, but seriously, folks, listen, we may... We may love Jesus and we may want to do everything that that God wants us for our life, but we are going to fail. It's going to be this way, folks, until sin and temptation is finally taken out of this world when Jesus comes again. Listen to what Paul says. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Okay, this is a guy who is filled with the Spirit of God. Look at all that he's doing, suffering on behalf of of the name of Christ. And he says, I don't have it all together. I am not perfect. And for any Christian to put themselves up there as if they've got it all figured out, you miss it. He says, I have it. He says, but I'll do this. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. Straining. See, it's a strain. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I decided years ago, I'm going to be open about my struggles. You know why? For one thing is, we don't hide our struggles as as well as we think we do. The other thing is I can't help people. And I'm not going to turn Christianity into something that is, that is made up of a bunch of perfect people. We have a perfect Lord. But we all go through stuff. I can tell you this, I am so much better in my patience than I was years ago. My parents are here, they, can, they will tell you. <laughs> I, I'm so much better in ways of compassion and empathy than I, than I have been over the years, even in, in depression. But I can also tell you, there are days I fail. There are some days that I make a lot of jokes trying to hide behind it. There are times that I make a step forward and, I, and then it's like I make two steps back. But I press on. I press on. This is is not to to give you an out for sin, okay? This is not to say, look, it doesn't matter what you do. You just go out and live ever, whatever way you no, no, no. We're still we're striving, but we're gonna fail. And we got to realize that we're vulnerable. Man, we need this. We need this in our culture today. This whole cancel culture, it is the most hypocritical thing. We're gonna look back in history, and we're gonna say, what a bunch of hypocrites. And I feel sorry for our young people. I really do. You know, there was a time peer pressure was something that was like on the playground. You know what I'm saying? It was something that was maybe on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Now it's something that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, thanks to social media. You want to talk about front stage living? Go to social media pages. People will be glad to show you how great they are. How wonderful their lives are. And man, our kids get so sucked up into this. And and it's not just our kids, is it? And, And listen, if we think that because we saw someone for 15 seconds on TikTok, and no, I just learned how to spell that, by the way. If we look at that person and say, I want to be like that person, you, have, you, are, you just sucked right into it. Or you look at that person and say, you know, man, look how happy they are. Look at all that they've got going on. Man, they, are, they just seem like they're perfect. And, and look at my life. And then we start comparing ourselves. Oh, my goodness, it drives me crazy. This is what we learn from social media. It's distracting, it disrupts sleep, it exposes you to bullying, to rumor spreading, unrealistic views of other people's lives and peer pressure. Studies back me up on this. Just in 2019, a study of 6,500 people, 12- to 15-year-olds in the U.S. who spent more than three hours a day using social media might be at a heightened risk for mental health problems. Another one that was conducted, 12,000 13- to 16-year-olds who use, are on social media more than three times a day predicted poor mental health and well-being in teens. And there are many other studies. We don't even have, they, these studies just continue to come out. Teenage, listen, not just teenagers, young adults, and maybe, maybe some of us older adults. We need to hear this. I'm going to ask you to do something, especially you young people. I'm going to ask you something that goes absolutely against everything that you're taught. Do away with social media. Just do away with it. At least... Limit yourself. Get rid of anything that's toxic. And that includes anything or anybody that you feel like you have to compare yourself to. Just get rid of it. It's not worth what is happening to our young people. Let me tell you something. The social media companies, they know it. And they don't care. Listen, I want our young people to know this too. Come talk to us, people in this church. I know, we're a bunch of old fogies. I don't speak your language. I still say groovy. It's okay. But there's some things that hadn't changed from now to where you are. How, How I can love you has not changed. What character's about hasn't changed. How, how to live a life that is simplistic, one that, that you don't have to compare yourself. Listen, let me tell you this. You don't have to come to us and hide. We know you're teenagers. You do stupid things. That's why God put you in homes, right? And I know some of your parents probably need to be in homes themselves. But still, the point is, listen, come talk to You, you say, well, I don't know who I can talk to. Come talk to me. I'll, 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 listen, I'll hook you up. We got some great people here. And they just, they just love, they want to love you. They want to care for you. They want to tell you what a valuable person that you are because you were created in God's image. And that all of these fakes that are out there in the world, all these people that are out there trolling you, all these people who are socially bullying you, all these people who are, who are causing this, this idea that you have to live up and look like and, and do all of these kinds of things, let me tell you something. Those people are not going to be around. But the people here, they will be. I guarantee you, your family, your friends, and there's some folks here, I I promise you. And that really brings us to the third thing. Find community. We need community. We need it. Research shows that loneliness is associated with anxiety, depression, and burnout. St. Augustine, in the 4th century, he had a sermon, and in it he said this, In this world, two things are essential, life and friendship." Both should be highly prized, and we must not undervalue them. On our deathbeds, get this, on our deathbeds, you are not going to sit there and think about that great promotion that you got that time. You're not going to think about all the trophies that you have. You're not going to think about uh, all those people. That, that looked down on you, or they said bad things about you, or that you've, you've tried to impress along the way. Let me tell you, and, and I've been in ministry for, for almost 30 years, and I can tell you, I've been by people's deathbeds, and this is what they think about the people who love them and who care for them all along this journey. That's it. That's it. Community gives us a place to be supported through our ups and our downs. And I think that's why this past couple of years has been so difficult. We're living in a time when more and more people are becoming isolated from the church community that, they, that was once important to them. Listen, Jesus set up what he set up for a reason. And it was not to be lived as individual lives. And guess what? Studies have now been conducted. (laughs) We now know the results of people who are leaving their faith communities. Some of which say they're doing it on their own. These new studies show that it's created a decrease in life satisfaction Higher levels of depression and lower levels of psychological well-being. How can you make this church better in 2022? Listen, too often we, we put it back and we're just like, well, I want to see what this church is going to do for me. Let me tell you something. This church is not about me or Peyton or the elders. It's not about our programs. The church is is not even a building. You know that, right? Please tell me you know that. It's people. A church is only as good as people that make it up, that love each other, that are there for each other in these difficult times that pray for one another, that serve one another. And let me tell you, I've seen it, you know. I know we've shrunk. But I'll tell you one thing. We are, we've just got a closer group of people. I've said this over and over. I just have a new respect. Because it's important to us we can't do it without each other. So it's the beginning of the new year. we got a whole book of blank pages. What are your pages, what are they going to be filled with when we get to the end of 2022? As I'm standing up here, unless the Lord comes before then, but if I'm standing up here in 2023, what are we going to look back on these pages? What will we have written? Who will we have been? What will this church be? How will the Lord's name be glorified and honored in this place and out there? Those are the real questions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace for us. Father, may we never forget who we are and that is lost individuals frail humans who are only our our best qualities, Father, is what comes from you that you have given us in your son Father, I pray for our young people it's so hard to watch them hurt so hard to watch them compare themselves to others and people who don't even care about them. And I know they're young. But Father, help us as your people love them and let them know how much we love them. Father, give us those opportunities. Father, I just pray for this church. I pray for what we're going to be doing here in a moment. Deciding on an elder, whether it's one that's being appointed or one that continues to work in this. This is, this is important work. This is spirit-filled work. And we, just, we pray for, for that to happen today. Father, I pray for those who are ready to make some changes. Help them. Guide them. I pray for those who they have found themselves in a really bad place and they're struggling to get out. Father, help them to reach out and help us to receive and help us with wisdom in leading them and guiding them in whatever ways. Father, we just love you and we thank you for your son and it's in his name, Jesus Christ, that we pray and offer these things. Amen. At this time, let's stand. And uh, I want to have this, um, um, this new, Year's, new Year's prayer. I want us to say it together. All right? Here we go. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the brand new year ahead. Help me live the way I should as each new day I tread. Give me gentle wisdom that I might help a friend. Give me strength and courage so I shoulder I might lend. The year ahead is empty. Help me fill it with good things. Each new day filled with joy and happiness it brings. In Jesus' name, amen.